Yeah, first, I would like to express my great pleasure and joy to be here today on this very auspicious occasion. Originally, when I planned my trip, I was scheduled to fly out from California back to New York last night. <laughs> but when I arrived at Abhigiri last week, I heard that there was an ordination planned for today. And everybody was saying to me, too bad you won't be here on Sunday when the ordination takes place. Then I reflected and I realized that I didn't have anything urgent scheduled for either today or tomorrow in New York. So I thought, why don't I just postpone my trip one day and stay here to participate in the ordination? And I'm very glad that I did. <laughs> and I want to begin also by extending my best wishes to the new ordinees in their new life. First to now Bhikkhu Titabo in his new life as a Bhikkhu, having graduated from the state of a Samanera or novice into a, the state of a fully ordained monk. And now to Samanera Chunda, who was previously Anagarika Lee, having left the state of one who is simply an Anagarika, and now who is one who has entered onto monastic life by taking the robes of a Samana or Samanera. I want to use as the theme of the little talk that I'm going to give a short statement of the Buddha. It comes someplace in the Anguttara Nikaya on three themes that he says that should be frequently reflected upon by one who has gone forth into the homeless life. These are also the first three of the ten themes that should be reflected upon by one who has gone forth in the larger Dasadama Sutta. But the first three form a distinct set of their own. I recite them first in Pali, each one in Pali, then give the explanation. The first one is Vevanayom hi ajupagatoti abhinhang pabajitena abhinhang pachaveki tabang. Okay, this means that I have entered upon a classless condition, literally a classless condition. This is something that should frequently be reflected upon by one who has gone forth into the homeless life. Now in the Buddha's time, society was divided into social classes, fixed social classes. These were called vanas, or in Sanskrit, varnas. And so there were four main Varnas, social classes. These were the Brahmins, who were the priestly caste. Then there were the Kshatriyas, the administrative or governing class. The Vaishyas, 
This was the mercantile, the business, the cultivating class, and then the shudras, the workers, the laboring class. And below this, there were those who were even lower than the working class, those who performed the very lowest jobs in society. But when one enters upon the homeless life in the Buddha's time, one gives up all claims to any class distinction. In Indian society, people were very, very conscious of their position in the class society. When one holds any position in a social class, one has distinct privileges, distinct duties, distinct obligations, distinct rights concerned with food, marriage, social relations to the other classes. But when one goes forth into the homeless life, one gives up all of these social obligations, social commitments, social um, social responsibilities, and one becomes simply a homeless one, a follower of the Buddha as one's teacher. And there's a sutta where the Buddha uses a beautiful simile to illustrate this point. He says that just as the waters of the four great oceans, there are four oceans, uh, I'm sorry, four great rivers, when they flow down and reach the great ocean, they give up their separate identity as the water from the Ganges River, the water from the Mahi River, the water from the Sarasvati River, the water from the Yamuna River, and the water becomes simply known as the water of the ocean. So when people from the four social classes go forth into the homeless life, they give up their personal names, their family names, their social caste identity, and they become known simply as summoners, ascetics, who are followers of Sakyaputta, the son of the Sakyan clan, that is, the Buddha. In our own American society, we don't have this rigid class system, but we have many other marks that distinguish us as people with our own particular characteristics. Some have certain university degrees, BA, MA, PhD, some have been scientists, some have been businessmen, some have been professors, some have been simple workers, some have been artists, some have been musicians, actors, whatever, craftsmen. But when we become Buddhist monks, we give up all of these distinguishing marks that we might have had in the household life because all of these are things that mark us as particular individuals, which sort of shape us as individual selves. And we aim to give up these distinguishing characteristics and become simply followers of the Master, the Lord, the Enlightened One. We all imitate 
the appearance of the Buddha. When the Buddha left the palace to become a seeker of truth, he cut off his hair, shaved the head, shaved his beard, gave up his princely robes and put on the brownish robes of an ascetic. And so from the Buddha's time right up to the present, there have been so many changes in fashion. You know, in the worldly life, every season there are changes in fashion. There are fall fashions, winter fashions, spring fashions, summer fashions. And if you're very fashion conscious, you always have to look at the fashion pages in the newspaper and get new clothes for each change of seasons. But for 2,500 years of Buddhist monastic history, there have been no change in fashions. <laughs> it's always the same three robes, basically the same color. Sometimes in some countries, the color a little bit different. Sometimes varieties of color, simply because the barks of the trees are different. The woods that are used to make the dye are different. Some countries, the style of the robe is a little bit different. But basically, if you look, the basic form of the robe, the basic color is the same. And with the shaved head, shaved features, when you look at a crowd of monks, if it's your son is amongst them, you have to look very carefully which one is my son? <laughs> There's no longer the obvious head of hair, the obvious facial features, but they all look pretty much identical. And in our own minds as monks, we train ourselves to eliminate from our minds the attachment to those features, those qualifications that might single us out as somebody special, so that we aim simply to become, the ideal for a monk is to become, in Pali we use the word akinchino, which means somebody who is nothing. <laughs> okay, so in worldly life the aim is to become somebody special. Like when I became a monk, my parents used to say to me, what are you? You have to be somebody. You're a nothing. <laughs> and I used to say, I'm not yet a nothing. That's my ideal, but I still have a long way to go to be, be a nothing. <laughs> if I were to say I'm a nothing, that would be considered... in the quarters that I hang out with, that would be considered boasting. <laughs> and so, we reflect, this is a theme for constant reflecting, that I've entered into this state of one who is without any special claims to qualities, a state without distinctive marks. And so we aim to divest ourselves of any kind of claims to be someone special, 
but we always try to be simple, low, humble, ordinary Buddhist monks following simply the example, the model of the Buddha, conforming to the same discipline, maintaining the same appearance, but also maintaining the dignity of those who bear the responsibility for sustaining the Buddha's teaching in the world. The second theme for reflection, parapadibhadda me jivikati pabhajitena abhinhang pachavekitabhang. My very life is bound up with and dependent on others. This is often to be reflected upon by one who has gone forth into homelessness. Okay, now when one is living in the world, the aim is to be self-subsistent. And this is especially something ingrained in the American temperament. One wants to be independent, to be, in fact, to be able to provide for many others, to be autonomous, a master of oneself. But when one becomes a Buddhist monk, one places oneself deliberately in a position of dependence on others for the basic needs of one's survival. For one's robes, the basic needs of the survival are robes, food, dwelling place, medicines, and all the other little things that we need to survive. We don't work at remunerative jobs so that we earn money. We don't handle money and go to shops and buy things for ourselves. We depend upon the offerings of others, upon the generosity of others. And we deliberately place ourselves in that position because that is the distinctive mark of one who has gone forth into homelessness. The aim of one who has gone forth into homelessness is to devote their life to the quest for spiritual development. And yet this quest for spiritual development is not completely a kind of self-centered quest, but it's a quest which opens to the world and which ties the people of the world into itself. And it does this by granting the world, people of the world, the opportunity to participate in that quest for enlightenment, that quest for liberation, by giving them the opportunity to contribute the material means to support those who are seeking fully, wholeheartedly, that aim of enlightenment, that aim of liberation. And so the symbol of the monastic life is that object, that 
Achan Pasano gave to the newly ordained Bhikkhu Titapo just a few minutes ago the alms bowl. This is, in a way, the symbol that represents the nature of our life as Buddhist monks. And it might seem, if you were a good, true-blooded American, that when you have an alms bowl, it means that you're a beggar, a parasite, just living on others who have working hard, working by the labor of their arms in order to earn and buy. And this person is coming along and expecting to get a handout from the hard-working, red-blooded American man and woman. But when we understand through the eye of Dhamma we see that it is the monastic person standing at the door with his alms bowl who is providing the gift to the person who has the opportunity to offer the alms. And so within the Asian culture, the Asian Buddhist culture, it's when the monastic person goes on alms round that this person is extending what we might call the charisma, the spiritual power of the Buddha's enlightenment, letting it spread out into the wider society by simply walking from door to door, collecting alms food. It's through this act of going for alms, slowly, mindfully, walking from door to door, that the monastic, the monk, or the nun is giving the householder, the person living and working, the opportunity to share in this collective work of walking the way towards the goal of enlightenment and liberation. The monastic person is one who is fully dedicated his or her life to this task. The lay person is still bound by the obligations and responsibilities of household life. But by walking for alms, by putting oneself into a position of dependence, a monastic person is giving the householder an opportunity to share in that process of making progress on the way to enlightenment. This is what gives the householder an opportunity to send down the wholesome roots of sadha, of faith, to practice dana, generosity, to develop the mind of relinquishment to generate the roots of merit which will bring benefits which will bring happiness and joy in this life and will bring benefits and spiritual progress in many future lives and so when we live in dependence on others 
we do not become simply, as some people think, just helpless, dependent parasites, but we think that this is our way of opening to the world and of benefiting the world. And those who help the monastics in their lives by providing them with their requisites are gaining many benefits in return. They're also participating in this work of liberation, developing the wholesome, virtuous qualities that will flow through their own minds, bringing joy and happiness, bringing peace and wisdom. Okay, the third reflection recommended for those who have entered on the homeless life. Anyo mea kapo karaniyo pabajitena abhinhang pachaveki tabang My manner must be different from others. This is something which should often be reflected upon by one who has gone forth in the homeless life. Now, when we go forth into the homeless life, we take on a great responsibility. By wearing these robes, having the shaved head, like it or not, You could say we stand out in the crowd. When we go into an airport, eyes fasten on us. Who is that strange person? If we're walking down the street of a city, the eyes fasten on us. Why is this one dressed differently than others? If you're in the subway, the eyes are fastening. Why is this one different from others? And so, the monastic person, dressed differently, stands out, looks differently. And people who have some knowledge will recognize this one is a Buddhist monk. If it's a woman, that's a Buddhist nun. And they'll take that person as representing the Buddha's teaching. And so they will base their assessment. They know little about Buddhism, but they base their assessment of Buddhism on what they can observe in the conduct of this person. And people are prone to rush to quick judgments. And so we have this responsibility in our behavior, our appearance, our manner of this responsibility for representing the Buddha Dhamma properly with dignity, with grandness. And so our behavior, our manner, our appearance must be on a par with the inherent greatness and grandeur of the Buddha's teaching itself.
So when we are, whether we're alone in a group of fellow Buddhists, and especially when we are in the outside world amongst those who are not Buddhists, we have to maintain a high standard of proper deportment, proper conduct. That's why we have a very extensive code of discipline. We call this the Vinaya, the code of monastic discipline, which lays down many rules of conduct. Some of these rules of conduct are concerned with the very basics of ethical training pertain to the very essence of the monastic life. But a lot of these rules are not so much concerned with the essence of inner training, but they're concerned with maintaining proper deportment when one moves in the midst of society so that one, for example, doesn't go running down the street because if one goes running down the street, it looks undignified. If one has to move quickly, one should walk, but not too quickly, but briskly, but keep a moderate pace so that one never loses that sense of self-composure and inner dignity. When one walks, one is not supposed to swing the arms back and forth but one maintains the arms at one side. One doesn't go looking around at all the interesting sights, what's for display in the shop windows, what's this, what's that, but one is supposed to show, present the appearance of one who has self-possession, restraint over the sense faculties. So all of these features of our mode of deportment, our mode of bearing ourselves, are intended to display the features, the characteristics of one who is a samana, that is, one who has dedicated his or her life to this training intended for developing inner peacefulness and inner mindfulness. So I think these three reflections taught by the Buddha for those who have just newly gone forth into homelessness will be good starting points for reflection for today. That is, one who has gone forth should reflect that first I have entered upon a state, a classless state, which we can take to mean a state where I have to give up any special claims for distinctness, for being somebody special. But instead, I should aim ideally at being a kinchino, a person with nothing special, no distinctive qualities. Second, one should reflect that my very life is dependent upon others. But by making myself dependent upon others, I am opening my life to others and enabling others to advance in generosity and in goodness. And my 
conduct, my deportment must be different, must be distinctive, must have the dignity that is commensurate with the greatness of the Buddha's teaching so that when I go forth into the world, I go forth as a representative of the Buddha's Dhamma. And those who see me will think that this is a peaceful person, a self-composed person, a person with inner dignity. And this can inspire others and in fact has inspired many others to develop an interest in the Dhamma and can plant the seeds in many others for developing some curiosity about the Buddha's teaching and investigating the Buddha's teaching. And in that way that calm, dignified mode of deportment can draw others to the Dhamma and lead them along the way to enlightenment and liberation. So I hope these words of advice will be of help to those who have newly gone forth and newly entered on the Bhikkhu state and will also be of some value to those who have come to observe the ordination today. I thank you all for your attention and may the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. Sadhu Karan Jatama Se Sadhu